Welcome to Meraki Mentors, a podcast featuring women who create. We interview creatives from every field and around the globe to discuss art, risk-taking, and what it means to live a creative life. Here's your host, Candace Howes. Welcome back to Meraki Mentors. I am super excited to introduce our guest today, Carrie Scott, who is actually speaking to us from London, which is super exciting. Um, And she's going to talk to us a little bit about her upcoming or actually current exhibition, um, as well as her work as a curator. So before we jump into our questions, um, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I I, am I am just, yeah, super excited to, one, get to like know you and chat to you outside of Insta, where we sort of started our friendship. Um, And yeah, just really honored to be here. Awesome. So I guess for, as a little background, obviously we have, um, Carrie and I connected over the summer. um, And so I've gotten to know her work um, over the last few months before everyone knew joining us. Um, Just tell us a little bit about like what you do in the gallery um, and like your journey to where you are now. Well, so I was lucky enough um, right out of university to get what I thought was my dream job. Um, I went straight into Condé Nast in New York. I wanted to be a writer my whole life. Um, and I spent two long years there and found the sort of corporate environment just not right for me. Um, and I knew that I still wanted to write, but I knew I needed to have like an angle. So uh, much to my parents' complete uh, chagrin, <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm going to put myself through grad school. Um, and they were, you know, this is sort of just after September 11th had happened in the city. And I was slightly shocked and rocked by that, or not slightly, but my whole, my whole universe was rocked by that. Um, and I was like, yeah, and it's going to be grad school for art history, right? And the economy was not in a good place, but I was like, I will write about travel from an art perspective. Um, and I only applied to West Coast schools and then schools back in London. I was born in London, but as you can probably tell by the way I sound, I spent 30 years in the States. Um, and I got into a, a great program at the University of Washington in Seattle um, and went out there and started my master's. And in the second year of my master's, I was introduced to a couple who have this incredible collection called uh, Bill and Ruth True. And they asked me to just come on as an intern to help. Um, they, they did exhibitions that had a, a, a sort of it wasn't a warehouse, but it was a warehouse that they had turned into both a domestic space and a public space. And they do a couple exhibitions a year. And all of a sudden, this world that I had never thought about being in opened up. Um, and I, I was working literally next to their curator um, and just kind of learning on the job what it is to take a, an existing collection and pull themes out, put artworks up on walls. Um, I mean, we were doing everything from from installing to packing work. Um, it's hilarious. You are looking at me now in a storage room of a gallery. Um, but it, you know, I think that, that the, the success of my career has been by being a part of all the small things up to the big things, right? So knowing how to uh, hammer a wall, spackle a wall, roll a wall with paint um, to then have it prepared for an artwork that's, you know, priceless almost. 
Um, and from there, that couple really sweetly introduced me to a man called James Harris, who had a tiny gallery in Seattle, and I was his first ever assistant. Um, and we went on to have what was uh, one of the most beautiful relationships of my working career. Um, he totally, he mentored me, he trusted me, he, uh, I mean, he'd give me so much, so much rope. Um, and then also would say, honestly, like, actually, let's think about doing this another way. Um, and it was, it was just like this great union. And, and then we launched a show together. I'm, I'm going to try not to go on and on and on. But um, I had met, I had been in New York for uh, Armory one year, which is a big art fair. And I had met, I happened to meet um, a young artist called Rashid Johnson, who his career was literally just starting. I went back to Seattle and was like, I just met Rashid Johnson. He's amazing. We need to do an exhibition of his work. It'll be the first exhibition outside of his hometown, Chicago. And Jim, to give him his credit, was like, this work is awesome. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, let's do a show. So we put together Rashid's first exhibition outside of Chicago, like I said. Um, and he now is, I mean, he's a household name, right? Uh, but it was kind of the three of us really pushing something that nobody was, was talking about. And it was maleness, blackness, anxiety. Um, it was, as I said, profound, right? It was the most profound professional experience of my life. And from there, I then got pulled into a gallery in New York. Uh, and the same thing happened again. The world kind of fell apart. It was 2007, 2008. Uh, and I was sitting there and I was like, I don't want to be here. This isn't it. And so at that point, um, I was 28 and I started my own company, which was really just to be like mean and lean and nimble. And all I wanted to do was help artists um, to do great stuff. Normally, I swear when I say that, <laughs> but it's, that's, that's what totally it was. You're totally fine. <laughs> um, but it was, I just wanted to help them do great shit. I mean, it, like, like, let's just do great stuff together. So um, 11 years later, the business is still standing and that's still the core of what I do. Um, oftentimes there are physical exhibitions in spaces, but they're not always in galleries, right? I do them in strange abandoned buildings. I did that before pop-up mentality was a thing. Um, and the show that we have up now feels like a sort of continuation of a conversation I've been having in my own head for a long time about um, access and balance and what we see in the world, which we can expand on. But that's it. That's, that's how we get to here. <laughs> that's so awesome. And there's literally like a million questions I can think of just from all of that. Um, something that stands out to me is, you know, talking about like the first gallery that you worked with in Seattle and like how you had a phenomenal experience with a mentor there. What does kind of that idea of like mentorship mean to you, especially when we're thinking about art, which can be a very independent, very sometimes even like isolating like type of work because you're doing things on your own. But what was that experience like of having someone there to kind of like show you the way? Well, I think that is a wonderful question. And it's something I think about a lot now, right? Uh, at the point in my career where I can help younger um, artists, curators, techs, you know, people that, that want to hang stuff on the wall. Um, and I think it's having time or it's making time, right? Jim had this phenomenal ability to slow down 
and, and he would, we'd be putting an artwork away and he'd explain corners and um, which are things you put on the edge of, of frames to protect the frames or we'd I, honestly, like I can remember the first time I was painting the gallery wall and he was like, dude, slow down, literally slow down. You're doing it so fast. You're having it flick on you. You're going to end up looking like someone's covered in cottage cheese. And I was like, okay. I mean, I have a master's in art history. Like I know what I'm doing. He's like, yeah, you really don't. Um, and so I think it's that, right? It's just taking the time to talk to people about, uh, just about everything, not just big picture stuff. And, and you're not, you know, a good mentor isn't someone who, who is steamrolling you and telling you what to do, but it's, it's, it's information, right? I mean, God, information is everything. Um, and so, yeah, having, having Jim, who was the first time in my professional career, you know, at Conde, I didn't have that. My superiors didn't have time to, to sit with me and talk to me about their ideas. It was so regimented and, and I met some great people there, but there wasn't that culture of, okay, we're going to do this together. And so I need you to know everything that I know so that if something, I mean, that was kind of how Jim looked at it. It was like, something happens to me, you can run the gallery. Um, and it's funny. So I, I haven't, the, the man I'm working with right now, David Hill, who has the gallery here, um, where our current show is, he, my relationship with him is, is weirdly similar to, to the relationship I had with Jim all those years ago. Um, but now instead of we're, we're much more equals than Jim and I were, but we have really different expertise and we almost mentor each other in, in those different areas that so like trying to get it back to your, your comment. He's really great on the technical aspects of photography, which I don't know as well, mm-hmm. but then I've got this broad art historical background i mean today i was upstairs like screaming about i was like i'm so excited because he didn't know christian markley and i was like you're gonna go on this unbelievable discovery and he was like all right i'm psyched and then i showed him stuff and he was like wait how don't i know this work right so there's a real um yeah just an excitement about sharing information right and i think that that is what a mentor is and should be and and wants to be and also remembering that like you know it doesn't matter how old we are or how um, expert we might be in our fields, but there's always stuff to learn. I love that idea because, yeah, we are on a, a lifelong journey. There's always someone with like more information or who's done something we haven't done before. So that's a really great idea. Um, yeah, so I definitely want to know more, I guess, about your your philosophy, I guess you could say, or like work as a curator. But before we like go into that, I definitely want to know about this amazing exhibition. I actually have like the pictures up here, like on the side, which are just blowing me away. So yeah. Can you like tell us a little bit about it? <laughs> sure. So uh, it's called tete It's about West African portraiture from independence since the 21st century. Um, and for those that don't maybe know, you know, independence swept across Africa. Uh, it began in Ghana in sort of 57. And then, Three years later, most countries were free from colonial rule. Um, and at the same time, there was this freedom that just came with it and this cultural boom. I mean, it's the only way to describe it. And one of the things that I have been so surprised with is that my foray into this period and this region comes through photography, 
But then I quickly realized that like the fashion coming out of there was unbelievably badass as well. The um, like music is nuts to the point that I've been so immersed in it that I started, I made a playlist for Spotify because I was like, there, it's not even, you go, go in and on Spotify, look for um, even uh, like Molly music or Burkina Faso, Benin, and there are no playlists. So I was like, well, hang on, we should fix that. There's so much great stuff out there. So anyway, sorry, I'm digressing, but we've included four photographers in the show. We have Malik Sidi Bey, um, who is much more well-known than the other three photographers. Uh, Stanley Sori, whose first show uh, ever was here at David Hill Gallery in, in 2017. Um, we're showing Leon's Raphael Agbajelu, who uh, is more well-known recently because he was commissioned to shoot the Viton 2020 campaign. Um, and then Rashidi Bissaru, who's from the village of K2, which is in central Benin, um, and his work has never, ever been seen before. And really the, the point of the exhibition, if I could distill it into like a tiny little nugget, was, was just to show, um, one, how unbelievably accomplished photography is in this region. You know, people think of, of photography centers as being Paris, New York, London to some extent, um, LA maybe, but, but actually, you know, these are masters of photography. Um, and, and if you, are, if you compare them to those people we call the masters, I mean, yeah. they, they stack up. Um, mm -hmm. But also beyond that, and this isn't something that I had anticipated, um, and I don't mind admitting that, I didn't anticipate it, but we got them up on the wall and I realized that this is just, it's not, you don't see West African people this way. You don't see them as, uh, as cool, as um, contemporary. I mean, some of these portraits, they could be taken today. Uh, you don't see happy. Um, we have had this ridiculous Western prism or filter or whatever thrown over this um, or this region. And it's shocking to me. And we did, of course, against the backdrop of all summer, we knew that, and the show had been on the cards for a year and a half, um, we knew that it would have more relevance, but I personally had not anticipated being like struck to my core about how, yeah, you, you just, you, had, you haven't seen this ever. Yeah. We've never had access. Um, there's a bigger story I want to tell you, but I don't want to go on too long. Um, but tell, this room, tell the story. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bissaru, uh, he's right. He'd never, ever shown outside of K2. He had this, um, he had a studio that was set up in 68. And we, I mean, we were literally physically hanging the work on the wall. And I said, oh my God, these, these, where is Benin exactly? And, and I said to David, was Benin Dahomey? And David said, yeah, Benin was Dahomey. And I then was like, didn't Penn shoot in Dahomey? And David was like, yes, he did. And I was like, well, when was that? Dave was like, I don't know. So we're talking about Irving Penn, like the godfather of portraiture. And yeah. I mean, he is the authority, right? Um, so at the exact same time, so 67, Penn was sent to Vogue, or sent by Vogue to Dahomey, now Benin. Um, 
68 Bissaru's set up, but the images that get back to America in Vogue are that you know it's what we what we think of as that region they're tribal mm -hmm. women half dressed mm -hmm. um scarification which was all part of you know what it was to be in a, a traditional tribe mm -hmm. but at the exact same time Bissaru is taking portraits on the street of k2 mm -hmm. that are like i say i mean it could be shot in notting hill in the 60s right yeah. it is people with bell bottoms um mm -hmm. You can hear, like, you look at the picture, you hear music. You're, you're not hearing, like, the tribal drums being beaten, you know, which is exactly. what you see in the pen images. You, yeah. you imagine this, like, far-flung place. And it's same country, same years. Mm -hmm. And it's bizarre to me that, like, how is this not being talked about, like, really properly addressed? And that's not, I don't want to hang pen out to dry. I'm not right. angry at Vogue. It's more... Guys, the imbalance was so great that we just couldn't, we couldn't see it. We didn't, yeah. we had no access to it. I don't know. Yeah. And you have a good point because I think it's kind of like these dual realities in a sense, like Penn's portraits that, you know, we've all seen are absolutely true because this is a community and a group of people that obviously deserve recognition. But then it's like on the flip side, we're missing a whole nother side of like the same culture and the same environment. So it's, it is very much taking art and in a way kind of creating a reality that's not there just by the fact that we've kept something else hidden or we've ignored something else in favor of the image that we want to see. Exactly. <laughs> in a nutshell, exactly. I don't know. I honestly, I'm still at the phase where I don't know what to do with this realization. So yeah. part of me... Um, I, I happen to know the, the main picture editor for Vogue at the time of when, when Penn was shooting. And I shared it with her and she, she feels I've misunderstood Penn. Um, but I think it's because when the realization came to me, I was probably a bit more angry. And so I was a bit stabby <laughs> on the computer. Um, whereas I've calmed down a bit, but I do, I feel like it's, and I put it on Instagram and that made me feel a bit better. But um, I don't know. I feel, I feel it needs to be like proper art historical close read of the images side by side so that we can like unpack them. Yeah. And I think it's as someone like all through my life, like I've never like studied, studied history in depth, but history has always been one of my favorite topics because just as like a writer and a storyteller to me, history is a bunch of stories, right? But they're more exciting because they're true. And I think it's interesting coming out of that perspective and also being someone like working in a gallery, obviously there might be the traditional things of like discovering an artist um, or, you know, sharing an exhibit that's going to be interesting. But do you feel in a way that like as a curator and finding these things that you have a responsibility from a historical perspective to kind of help eliminate things or educate people if there's been like a void such as, you know, the images that we have of West Africa? It's a great, I mean, it's a great question, right? Because for the gallery, you're also balancing commercial success. Um, so I have to think about what is going to sell and keep us open and keep artists mm -hmm. fed and feeding their families, um, which is something that the art world does not want anybody to talk about uh, right. because art should exist for art's sake and it just needs to function in society. But it, it, it doesn't without patronage. 
And yeah. I mean, we are feeling that and finding that now more than ever, right? Um, I, I, I've, I don't know how stuff is going over there really in regards to the arts and support for the arts, but here, galleries, museums were allowed to open last um, post-pandemic. Yeah. And why? Like, we can do social distancing better than anybody, really. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, you could go and buy a car before you could go back into a museum. Yeah. What does that tell you? <laughs> exactly. About how we're valued in society. It says quite a lot. So, um, all of which is to say, yes, I, I do think long and hard about the shows that we're putting out and making sure that, um, that, uh, that the right voices are heard and that alternative voices are heard. Uh, but a place that I've found real freedom to think even more about that is in any of the sort of TV presenting stuff I've done. So when, uh, when I got involved, I, I did a program called The Art Show um, a couple of years ago. And for that, I went in quite, I mean, and I had nothing to lose because I'd never done it before. But when they asked me whether I would get involved, I was like, yes, but we need to have these artists. And, and it was, you know, a woman, she was black, uh, an artist, he was black, a man, he was white, but in a wheelchair. I, I was in my head. I was like, I'm so sick and tired of seeing the same five voices that I have seen for so long. Um, and because I didn't have that like commercial, okay, well, the commercial hat on, I just had the freedom to be like, I want to show you the coolest artists I know that are different from the top 99.9% .9 of the art world, right? Exactly. Um, and because the art world is, is so biased and I mean, it's, it is appalling, appalling. Don't get me started on that, but um, it is. I mean, women, right, women take up, in the last 10 years, women are, account for 12.5% of all museum acquisitions in the United States of America. 12.5%. Like, sorry, what? Exactly. Oh my gosh, I cannot. And I have to like do a little internal scream here <laughs> because not only is it frustrating, but I'm so happy that you mentioned it because that was literally like my inspiration. I remember like reading an article about that and that's why I started the podcast because I was just like, and it's interesting because in my experience in the art world, like women are always so important and vital and like purchasing art, being involved in art, but then it's like when it comes to making it, <laughs> That's a different story. They don't do that. And so, yes, go continue. I just had to. <laughs> no, but you're right. As women, we can be the muse. We can be the patron, right? Peggy Guggenheim, we're allowed, we're allowed that space. Mm -hmm. um, and we can be the object of the artist's love and desire and, and creative energy or whatever. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. No, you make babies. <laughs> right. You don't make art. Um, and it is, right? But then there's this whole thing. God, I haven't even thought about this forever. But there's this, there's this whisper in the art world that people will say, they're like, oh, that artist is pregnant. She's having a baby. Her work's going to suffer. Like she will lose her ability to create work because she's had a baby. And you're like, no, no, that's not, no. How is that even related? Like, <laughs> It's just not. Right. And then if you write those stats, kill me because... If you think to, if it's 12 point whatever, 5% of women are in the art world, and then you look at people of color you, who are within that, 
right? right. So if you're a black woman and you're and you make art, you're nowhere. Your your percentage is one, maybe. Exactly. Um, I mean, literally, you cannot drill down enough in the stats to figure out what that is. <laughs> exactly. Well, ridiculous. It I is. Mean, yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah. It's yeah. It's so. It is. It's maddening, literally, when you <laughs> sit and think about it. And it's like every little bit of of work that we can do to either draw awareness to something or try to like build platforms is really monumental when you think about it in the scheme of things like it might seem small but it's a huge huge um breakthrough of just trying to like keep chipping away you know at this very very large problem (laughs) exactly um it is why what you're doing is so cool because i i really feel that you know there have been the boys clubs for so long Mm -hmm. and we've as women i think we've kind of resisted mimicking that um but frankly we need it you know we we need there's an amazing group over here called um, the association for women in the art which is literally just about a bunch of women supporting each other um and some of the relationships i've made through that have have been so meaningful um, you just, ugh, I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's going to take a while, but we'll get there. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this, so there's a, a couple of things too that I want to ask as well. And that is, I know like in speaking about the exhibit and even now you're talking about just kind of like the energy behind the images, um, how like celebratory they feel. Um, so my question is, regardless of what, you know, the theme or the purpose of an exhibit might be, is there something overall that you look for in an artwork, whether it's a photograph, a painting, whatever the image might be, um, that kind of stands out to you when you're looking as, you know, a gallerist thinking about building an exhibition or a collection? Oh, that is such a tough question. Um, it's it's aesthetic driven for sure at at on the surface right um yeah something that has balance and uh sort of all the things you're taught um that bring harmony to a composition um whether that be color or a shadow or angles you know and i'm i'm in my head i'm going all the way from uh you know like a Dutch still life painting mm-hmm. to an abstract expressionist, right? So all those yeah. things that are balance, um, I think, which is everything I strive for in life anyway. But um, then it's narrative secondarily, and that would not be the case for so many art historians. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it is, right? I, I, yeah. want, I want to look at something and try to understand uh, it's not what it what it means to the artist or why they did it. It's it's what it does to me, um, mm-hmm. right? So what's the story that I start to tell with it? Um, so uh, I don't know if I'm putting that all that well, but there. Do you know what? I, I can use an example from the show. There's a there's a yeah. portrait by Rashidi Bissaru. Um, there's a woman. She's probably in her early. 20s or she's in her early 20s in my head 
uh, and she is honestly, she isn't posed at all. Like she's not, you know, when, when someone takes out their phone, we're doing stuff to pose for the camera. And she's not, she's just looking at the camera or the photographer. Um, and for whatever reason, and I've said this uh, to almost everyone that's come in, I know her. Like I know, I know that she's really kind, mm -hmm. but doesn't take any shit. I know that she's intact as a person yeah. and isn't posturing. I like, I know her. Um, and then when I was, I was trying to unpack why I love this picture so much, I was like, oh my God, because she in, she's inhabiting all these traits with a look that I wish I possessed. Like yeah. kindness, weirdly at the forefront of it. Um, but also like a no nonsense, I don't know, like she's just got presence. Um, so, I, so I think that's it for me. That's the standout. It's like the stuff that, that hit, like hits you in your stomach and you mm -hmm. keep looking at it over and over again, trying to understand why you're looking at it over and over and over again, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you did a really good job of describing that because I know it's such an impossible question because we are drawn by different things, but that idea of, you know, thinking about aesthetics, thinking about balance and narrative and, you know, capturing that, that spirit of connecting with things that we see in ourselves or other people. I think those are really good kind of concepts, um, especially for artists like have in their head. Um, so I guess like before we wrap up, I cannot, um, leave you without asking this question what is your favorite collection or exhibition that you've worked on like your favorite project oh god <laughs> i love hitting with these these impossible questions <laughs> uh oh lord i mean they're they're so different right there's the like most oh, meaningful um probably the mo the 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 show that in my when you said it i was like yeah it's probably that um i did an exhibition called shade of pale which was the first big exhibition i did on completely on my own um and i showed 10 different photographers um and it was 400 and something artworks whoa uh, yeah um 400 and something i think it was 470 uh photographs it i i believe is the single um largest independent photography exhibition ever mounted and in it wow. i included 320 pieces by john Pawson, who's an architect um but is not and is not known at all for his mm -hmm. photography he's he's a celebrated celebrated architect but has never been known as a photographer and I got his book and I was like, this is insane. This is photography. I called him thinking he'd say, you're insane. Um, but I said, this needs to be seen. It needs to be seen hanging in space. And he was like, yeah, okay, sure, fine. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I've got to go do that. Um, <laughs> but then it wasn't enough for that to just be a solo show of his work. Um, he is, as I said, an established uh, man 
in this world, but I wanted it to be a conversation. So I then brought in nine other photographers, all complete, um, not unknowns, but like completely at the beginning of their careers, sort of emerging. Um, and I took, uh, I looked at artists who were in particular show, like working through a series. So in the way that John had this series called Spectrum, which is the entire um, uh, colors of the rainbow, literally from white to dark in 320 pictures. Um, I then wanted other artists who were doing that. So like returning to a theme over and over and again. Um, we showed Bindi Vora, who's a young British photographer who she'd done this series. Um, oh, what was it called? Oh, it was all seascapes, but they were seascapes on desks. So you were looking down at them rather than on the horizon line and you'd float between them. So it was just this, uh, it was amazing. It was, it, like I said, it near killed me. Um, and it was in the middle of a brutalist building that was a construction site at the time. Um, so that was physically daunting, but also conceptually daunting. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did, I finished that show and I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> and that was worth it. I learned so much and I had a good time doing it. Um, but visually in my head, when, when you were like, okay, well, what's, what's the one show? It would be that for me. And it was this idea of having, you know, a massively established person with unknown emerging artists, which yeah. you're not allowed to do oftentimes. And that's where John Pawson is great. Um, he, has, he has every reason to be the biggest ego and um, a sort of prima donna. And yet he was like, yeah, this is a great idea. Go. And actually going back to your like mentoring yeah. thing, he was just like, yeah, I trust you. I think that sounds awesome. Let's do it. I mean, he never questioned or he did question, but he never, he just, he, he was there to listen and support and encourage and yeah. push, push for sure. I mean, it was a challenge and a half, um, but it, it, it was about a, a like common success, right? For all of us, the artists, me, um, my invigilators to like come up a, a notch. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that is incredible and i yeah i feel like the first thing that comes to your mind is usually the one that's <laughs> that struck you the most um well this has been fantastic obviously where can um everyone go to follow you as well as to learn more about the exhibition for anyone who's actually in london um you know how can they actually come and see it um we definitely have listeners in the uk so i think that would be awesome thank you well so we, because of the pandemic, we actually decided to make a, a film and in conversation between David and I to introduce the work. Um, so that's on Vimeo and it's 15 minutes. So it's like a, a, a really quick, fun way to get an introduction into the show. Um, you can please, please, please follow me on Instagram um, where I'm at CEA Scott. Uh, and I post all sorts of nonsense. Um, less my kids and my dog. Uh, but there's a bit of that on there. Um, and the gallery is open by appointment. We are strictly one household at a time um, and masked, so COVID safe, we hope. Um, and we are probably, we're going to run the show until the end of November. 
but uh, we might extend that because what's been amazing is, I mean, we've got three or four requests for viewings a day. Um, And because we have to do it one at a time, we just kind of feel like actually extending the show for longer makes sense. Um, And it has, you know, 2020 is going to go down as a funny old year, but this show has restored my faith in in people, in my clients, in um, our audience. You know, like I said, there is a line. It's a virtual line, but it's a line. There's a line around the the block for this, yeah. um, which is huge, right? I mean, it, that means a, a lot because I think if we had launched this ten years ago, people would have been like, "Oh yeah, cool," <laughs> but not. There's urgency. You know, there's yeah. appetite. They, they want, we want this collectively. Yeah, I think that is so amazing. And I think the, the work you all are doing, it's already been very impactful. But I think now in these times, like being aware enough to, um, to present a body of work like this is just so amazing. So I, I know it's probably been very, very just exciting to see everyone come in and be touched by these images too. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Honestly, I am so profoundly um, honored to have been able to talk to you and to be on the podcast. And um, yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, we are so happy that you're here and it's just been wonderful. So it's, I'm honored that you took time out of your busy day, I know, um, to share with us. Um, Thank you. You've been listening to Meraki Mentors Podcast with Candace Howes. We're honored you chose to spend your time with us today. To learn more about today's guest or the podcast, visit MerakiMentorsPodcast.com. Don't forget to create and connect.